Charles V was ruler of the Holy Roman Empire back in the early 1500s. Um, but <laughs> he got tired of being in that position, so he gave up the title before he died. He was tired, he said, of all of the petty bickering and all of the national wars and all the fighting and all the bloodshed. So he turned over the reins of the empire, the power to his son, uh, Philip II. Then Charles went home to his palaces in Spain. He set himself to do some unfinished projects, uh, you know, around his home. And one of those projects was this. Um, he had six clocks, evidently, in his house, and he wanted them all to chime exactly uh, on the hour at the same time together. But those six clocks, no matter how he adjusted them, they continued to ring at slightly, uh, well, slightly different moments. In his memoirs, he writes about this, and he says, how is it possible for six different clocks to chime all at the same time? And he reflects on that a little bit further, and he continues in his memoirs, and he says, how is it even more possible or impossible for the six nations of the Holy Roman Empire to live in harmony? It can't be done, he said. It's impossible, not even if they call themselves Christians. <laughs> um, I think we understand where he's coming from, don't we? I mean, face it, you and I um, have been in church, church life long enough to recognize the fact that uh, oftentimes the church um, reflects more of the world around us than we do Jesus Christ. Um, oftentimes uh, we are splintered and we can become fragmented and competitive individuals meeting together, power and politics ruling the day. We ask with Charles, how is it possible for a diverse group of believers to live in harmony? And all we have to do it, it, to prove our point is all we have to do is, is turn to the New Testament and look at uh, the New Testament church of Corinth. Um, um, I mean, you, you look at that, those letters to the Corinthian believers there, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and, and you see that there's a group there. That church was all messed up. I mean, they were sliced and diced by division. I mean, one group uh, followed Paul with another group following Apollos and, and, and a third group liked Peter the best. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Here was a church, they couldn't even agree who their pastor was. Let alone what color carpet they wanted on the floors. <laughs> there were power plays going on all the time. There were those who were especially gifted and, and wealthy, and, and they used their gifts and they used their money to boast and to exclude, to put others down and push others around. What chance did they have of being unified together? Yet amazingly, we get to uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Here's the reality of the thing is we see the Apostle Paul still holding out hope for the unity of this church. And he keeps pressing the issue there in 1 Corinthians 12. Despite their diversity, Paul makes the case that they can be an incredible church. How? 
What will it take? Not only for them, but more importantly, what would it take for us here at First Free to become an incredible church? I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at Paul's encouragement. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Start with me in verse 12. Verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, skip down with me to verse 20. It says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Um, These two verses uh, kind of um, uh, bookend this first section of of this passage. And they repeat the same point. Do you notice that? The point is simply this. Incredible churches see themselves as one unit. Yes, as a church, um, we are many parts, but we form one body. (laughs) I mean, we know um, what a body is, right? I mean, you all have one, and (laughs) and you know what your body is like. Um, I mean, the body, it's, it's incredible. It's something like a machine, right? But it's far... Better than anything we could, we could have ever manufactured or can ever be manufactured today. In fact, most machines that we do make are poor imitations of our bodies. Even our computers are modest attempts to duplicate what happens at amazing speed and with incredible variety inside of our brains. I mean, the youngest child that came to church this morning, the youngest child... Uh, actually has more intellectual capacity than the most powerful computers have in our world today. You see, I got to tell you, our bodies are are something even more than that. Even while (laughs) we sit here, you know, this morning, um, gathered together, restful, silent, listening, um, our bodies, your bodies are, are working hard. During this hour, your heart will pump 4,320 times. Your lungs will take 968 breaths. Your stomach is still trying to figure out uh, and find out what it was that you sent down it uh, for for, for breakfast this morning. (laughs) Your liver and your intestines are trying to sort out the good from the bad. Um, You have over 290,000 brain cells making pictures and thoughts and connections in your mind. And let me tell you something. If... You know, by chance, um, you should fall asleep this morning in the midst of the sermon, which I know no one will do, right? Um, Your body will reposition itself um, at least one and a half times during the hour. (laughs) Our bodies, I mean, think about it. They are amazing things, and they can't be duplicated. And the most amazing thing about them is that our bodies, all the different parts, they work so well together as a unit. Although there are many parts that make up our bodies, they are joined together and they make up one body, one unit. So then how do we, church, those watching online, those here in in person, those in the next service, how do we become one body? Think again of those six clocks 
of the Emperor Charles V. Charles V couldn't get them to chime together because each of them, see, they had an independent source of power. Each clock had its own set of weights and pulleys. Each clock regulated itself by its own wheels and gears. Each clock had its own brain, you might say, its own heartbeat. And as long as those timepieces were run by different brains, as long as they were uh, energized by different hearts, they could never chime exactly at the same time together. They would always run, you know, independently of one another in their separate worlds. But see, in today's world, you and I can actually have all, all our clocks in a single building show exactly the same time. I mean, you take your phone. I didn't bring my phone up here, but if you take your phone out, my guess, it will say the same time as my phone has on it. We say, well, how can that happen? I mean, Charles V would, would be jealous of that, right? What's the magic that makes that all work? Well, we understand. We tell the magic of making all those phones operate together and show exactly the same time is because they're all governed by the same official time, uh, green, Greenwich Mean Time, which goes from the satellites to the cell towers to our phones. In other words, catch this, all of our clocks on our phones, they're all connected to the same source, right? Same brain. That's the key to what the scriptures tells us about how we can become one unit. I mean, look with me at verse 13. Look what he says here. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. What is it that joins us together? (laughs) It's the person of the Holy Spirit. When you became a follower of Jesus Christ, when you said yes to Jesus coming in and and taking control of your life, uh, you said, Jesus, you come in, you be the boss of my life. Um, At that moment, you were baptized. You were immersed by the Holy Spirit. You were also indwelt um, by the Holy Spirit. See, when you drink a glass of water, you you take that water into yourself. And when you drink of the Holy Spirit, you take that spirit into yourself. You and I, we are both immersed by and indwelt by the same one spirit. (laughs) So Ron, you and and, and Ross are indwelt by the same spirit. (laughs) And, uh, you know... Everyone here is indwelt by the same spirit, baptized by the same spirit, and I share that same life and am connected to the same power source, right? Jesus Christ, he's our power source. That makes us one body, one unit. As one person in our church mentioned to me this week, it's Jesus Christ that unites us together. And when we focus on who he is and what he has done for us, then we can act as one body. Our mission statement is to help individuals become Christ-centered and Christ-sent together. I got to tell you, that's more than just a mission statement. (laughs) It reminds us that it is Christ that unites us. Not a political statement. Not a, not a, a, a 
a color or an age group or a similar like in music styles. No, it's Christ that unites us. It is God's glory that brings us all together. Listen, when I'm surrounded by other people who belong to Christ, then, then we belong to each other because we all belong to Christ. And when we understand that and live accordingly, then unity becomes a reality. Not because of our ability to get along, not because of uh, uh, the fact that we're all thinking the same thing, but out of our ability to be connected to the same source of thought and, and power and under the same rule, incredible churches, see, they see themselves as one body, one unit. Don't miss that. That's the key. But listen, incredible churches must also remember to value the unique importance of each individual in the body. Now look with me, starting in verse 21. Look at the apostle says here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And in those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now, Paul is still, of course, using the imagery of the physical human body, and he points to three parts of the, the body that we can sometimes, you know, we tend to overlook. Uh, there are weaker parts, our less honorable parts, and our unpresentable parts, he says. Yet Paul reminds us that these parts, that they're, that they're indispensable, worthy of special honor and to be treated with special care, those parts. Ray Stedman tells a story about a time after he had preached on this uh, passage um, uh, that uh, a doctor, um, following his uh, sermon, approached him uh, um, and came up to him, and the doctor said, listen, uh, uh, Pastor Stedman, you may be interested to know that uh, there's a certain part of your body that is absolutely essential to you as a preacher. You probably don't even realize it or even think about it when you're preaching. <laughs> Ray Stedman asked him, well, what is it? The doctor said, it's your big toe. See, the big toe senses when your body um, begins to lean or, or shift or fall or get out of balance and immediately strengthens so that you can stand up and speak without your big toe. Listen, you could never preach. <laughs> uh, you know, ever since I read this story, I, I, I decided I better start guarding my big toe. Um, um, it's an essential part of my ministry, my big toe. Listen, I, I know that this is not how our world works, Right? Um, our world elevates those who have special abilities, those with special gifts and roles. The star athlete is babied and protected. The CEO of the company is paid huge amounts of money. The saleswoman of the year gets the plaque on the wall. The, the high-capacity businessman gets the corner office, right? These are the ones the world would consider to be indispensable, but God turns that idea upside down, doesn't he? <laughs> he says, those we would disregard, they're crucial. See, sometimes 
Um, I was thinking about this. In the church, what we tend to do is we tend to, I think, people with the gift of helps um, are nice to have around. I mean, uh, food needs to be served. Doors need to be put out on the front lawn, you know, with coffee. Chairs need to be set up in different rooms. But really, we say, you know, kind of how, how important are they really to the church? After all, uh, you know, those with the gift of helps, they don't teach, uh, they don't preach, they don't sing like uh, Paul does here or anything like that. Do you know what happened in the congregation? I got to tell you, if those people, the gift of helps ceased using that gift, <laughs> here, if it happened, Pastor Jay and I would have to start uh, coming in early and uh, be unable to preach and teach because we'd have to start setting up tables and start setting up chairs and, and we'd have to be down in the kitchen, which is trying to make sure the coffee is all ready. We'd have to run over to the donut shop and make sure the donuts are prepared. And I, I got to tell you, this whole thing would be a mess. <laughs> I mean, we would stumble over one another, and nothing would get done. It's just like the big toe of the body, Paul says. There are no insignificant members of the body of Christ. Here's a question I want to ask you. Just think about it. Do you know your own gifts and what those gifts are for? Are you using your gifts in the body of Christ? Do you know the gift of those in your small group? How about your community group? Do you know, do you know the gifts of those that are there? Do you recognize and value those gifts, how individual they are and unique they are? Listen, incredible churches realize, yes, that they are a unit. At the same time, they value each member and their unique gifts. There's no hierarchy of, of the important or the unimportant persons in the body of Christ. And, and, and to help us make sure that we understand that, as a, how to work together as a harmonious, uh, functioning body, there are two important principles that I think are crucial for us to keep in mind. Paul talks about them here. The first one is that there is no room for anyone in the body of Christ to feel inferior. I mean, how many times do we find ourselves saying, you know, everyone else seems to have something to do um, around here but, but me? Or, listen, I can't help out because, listen, I, I don't have the, the abilities that are required to make it happen. Or, 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 or others, man, they know so much more about the Bible than I do. <laughs> Look with me back up in verse 15. Look what Paul says. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less than the body. Paul says, hey, this would be ridiculous if a foot should say, I can't do all the things that a hand does. <laughs> Therefore, I really, I really don't belong to the body. Or, or if the ear says, I can't see like the eye, so... <laughs> Listen, I'm no good. Instead of recognizing their, their own gifts, they start feeling sorry for themselves and, and, and jealous of others. My question is, do you ever feel that way? You ever feel a little bit insecure? Someone is able to do something better than, than you're able to do around here, so 
You say, well, then I won't do anything? You ever feel a little jealous? Why do they get to do that? Why why don't I ever get to be in that position? (laughs) Listen, that can happen, can't it, in the church? And when it does, Paul says, we are deceiving ourselves. Each of us has been given gifts for the building up of the body. It was God who has arranged the members in the body as he chose. A second important principle I think we have to keep in mind um, to work as a, as a unit is that there's no room for anyone to not only feel in, insecure or, 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 or not so important, but there's no room for anyone to feel superior. I mean, that was what was going on in this congregation, this church here in Corinth. There were those in that church who were viewing themselves as more essential than others. I mean, they they said, hey, I I speak in tongues. Hey, I I work miracles of healing. And they concluded evidently that they didn't need those less spectacular parts of the body. And Paul says, how wrong you are. In fact, look again with me at verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. (laughs) It's amazing. Isn't how many people get the the idea that they don't need the rest of the body? They they think they can function better on on their own, independently. They've got their own abilities, their own ministry. They can accomplish more apart from others than together with others. See, sometimes I think a church body, congregation can act like um, golfers. Um, have you ever played golf or, or, or watched a golf tournament on TV sometimes? I mean, golfers are by nature independent. They, a golf tournament is a, a struggle, isn't it, of independent egos uh, against each other. They, they go out on the course and they, they're not really paying attention uh, uh, to what others are doing. I mean, it's not like a football team <laughs> that where you've got to have each member playing their parts so that they can accomplish something. Now, one of the dangers is that as a church, we can act like a bunch of, uh, of independent golfers instead of playing together as a unified football team. And I got to tell you, that brings us to a third truth about incredible churches that Paul makes here. That is, incredible churches use their different gifts to build up the body. Look with me, starting in the middle of uh, verse 24. Look at Paul writes here. But God has so composed the body. Understand, it's God (laughs) that's composed the body, right? Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be, why? That there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, when each of us use our gifts that God has given us, the body of Christ is built up. When my gift is being used and your gifts are being used, there is no division, he says. Instead, we're caring for another and, and we're suffering with one another and we're encouraging one another and we're serving one another. In 1950, the Indy Car Pit crews consisted of just four men, including the driver. 
No one was allowed to get near the car except this small crew of specialists. A routine pit stop to replace two tires and fill the tank back um, took that, at that time more than 60 seconds. Today, a crew consists of 11 members, excluding the driver. Six are permitted direct contact with the car. Five serve as behind-the-wall as behind assistance. A full-service pit crew that replaces all four tires now, adjusts the wings, and tops off the tank now takes less than eight seconds. Formula One pit crews are even bigger sometimes involving over 20 people who all have their special, unique role to play. When everyone understands their role and when everyone on the pit crew does their job with purpose and passion, the team can complete the same job, think about this, the same job in under three seconds. Unbelievable. Now, just as amazing as it would be to watch a racing team as they work together, it's even more incredible Think about this, when the church comes together, the differences and the, and the diversity, allowing God to mold us by his spirit into that special unity that puts God's glory on display, amazing, incredible. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter four, verses 12 to 13, he says, when we use our gifts, then we are equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Incredible churches use their different gifts to build up the body. And I got to tell you, here's the fun part of all of this. I haven't got to the fun part. Here's the fun part of all this. Do you know why Paul keeps pressing the issue with the church of Corinth? Do you know why we've been in this series this fall titled Better Together? Why I continue to press this point of unity in the body? Do you know why it's such a big deal for us? It's important. It's a big deal because incredible churches working together make Christ visible to the world. In fact, look back with me at verse 12. Look what he says here. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Do you find that last phrase, so it is with Christ, a little strange there? <laughs> it doesn't seem like that verse should end, so it is with the church. But Paul says, no, no, so it is with Christ. You know, I got to thinking about that, and I thought, I wonder, I wonder if, if, if Paul wrote this, if he wasn't thinking back to what Jesus said to him on that Damascus road. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> and Jesus responded, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now think about it, who was Saul persecuting? He was persecuting the church, wasn't he? He was persecuting the body of Christ. The way Christ see is made visible to the world is through us, his church. You and I, we're more than just a metaphor for Christ's body. No, we are actually Christ's physical body, organically interrelated, interdependent, harmoniously and functionally driven by the Holy Spirit. We are Christ's visible presence 
and activity here in South Minneapolis. One commentator put it this way. He says, in order to accomplish his work on earth, Jesus had a body made of flesh and blood. In order to accomplish his work today, Jesus has a body that consists of living human beings. (laughs) That's us. That's us. You and I together have been given an incredible assignment to be the visible presence and work of Christ in our world. Incredible churches resolve to work together to make Christ visible to the world. That's our focus. That's our vision. That's what we're about. Once upon a time, there was a famous house builder and painter. After designing the homes, he would then build and paint them. As a painter, he was such an amazing artist that he didn't even need drop cloths. (laughs) He had a steady hand, and he was finicky about using good brushes and quality paints, so there were no drips, just tight trim lines wherever he painted. This craftsman has always designed and built and painted the homes all by himself with his own hands. But then one day, he had a remarkable idea. As he was standing by one of his houses, he saw a bunch of kids walking home from the local elementary school. They were minding their own business, laughing, you know, carrying their backpacks. Until he shouted to them, he said, hey, kids! And they looked up, startled and awestruck because everyone knew in town um, about this amazing, talented artist. He asked them as a surprising question. He says, how would you like to, uh, to do some painting? What do you mean, they asked. I'll tell you what. I'll give each of you a bucket of paint and a brush, and you can paint my new house. Do you want to give it a try, he asked them. For real, they squealed with delight. The painter nodded. He says, yep, for real. Cool, the kid said. He opened up the back of his truck and pulled out a load of brushes and paint cans and the pride opened the paint cans. They started splashing paint on his garage door. They got paint on the sidewalk too and some on each other. But they also got a lot of paint on the house, all different colors, especially in the parts of the house that were under four feet high. <laughs> As the kids came by on the sidewalk, other kids came by, they asked, hey, can we do that? And they joined in. And in about an hour, most of the first floor was now covered with paint. House painter's neighbors came over that night after dinner and took it all in. What's going on, they asked. Another blurred out, look, i got to be honest with you, your house looks like a a, a tornado ripped through Sherman Williams. (laughs) I mean, what were you thinking? Well, house painter said, of course, I I could have painted this house all by myself. But see, I've always built and painted houses in order to bring joy to others. So based on that goal, this is the most beautiful house I've ever painted. (laughs) Dozens of their friends, these kids, they want to come over to this house. And they'll bring their friends and, and they'll show them what they have painted. And each one will say, this is the home of the master painter and builder but it's also our house. Friends, in the same way, 
When God the Father, the master creator and painter of the world, pours out his Holy Spirit on his followers, he hands every one of us a single can of paint and brush and says, hey, go to work. Go to work together. Use your gifts and let's paint an incredible house together for the world to see. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the church. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your, your church body, this family here at First Free. As we each seek to be more like you, to have Jesus Christ formed in us, more obedient to your word and your spirit, might you continue to draw us together as one. Use our diversity, use our different gifts to build us into an incredible church. Might we paint a beautiful house together for the world to see your glory. In your son's precious name, we pray these things.